Hello and welcome. This is the Swine Disease Reporting System number 40, report number 40 of June 1st. We're going to cover uh, the results from the SDRS regarding the month of May. My name is Edison Magalhães here at Iowa State University. Hello, my name is Giovanni Trevisan here at Iowa State University. Hello, Daniel Linhares also at Iowa State. And today we have... Yeah. Hello, Paul Yeske from uh, the Swine Vet Center. Yeah, so we have the pleasure to have here today again, Dr. Poyaski. We have some some good information, and uh, would love to hear his his information and what he's seen in the field. So today we're going to start. Just a quick reminder for you guys: the SDRS covers PCR detection for PERS and coronavirus and mycoplasma hive pneumonia from the, the four VDLs here at Iowa, at, the, at the United States. And also we're going to cover the last page is the disease diagnosis detection, which is the, the detection of, of cases here at IS, ISU VDL. So let's get started, Giovanni, uh, starting here in the page number one, where we're going to cover uh, the PCR detection of PERS. What were the, the highlights from the month of, of May? Well, during May, different PERS virus strains have kept the activity of this virus at high levels at different regions. We have been seeing some uh, report of breaks in regions like Nebraska and Ohio, and there is a second wave that is occurring from the specifically for the PERS virus strain, named as RFLP144 lineage 1C variant in Minnesota and Iowa. We have put a bonus page describing the epidemiological curve of RF5 detections of this PERS virus strain to provide more information with. And the growth finish sites is a big population that keeps the PERS virus activity at high levels and has been contributing for the virus spread to all age groups. So talking about PERS, Dr. Yeski, what, what are you seeing? Yeah, unfortunately, we've seen a, a lot of activity here as we got into uh, later uh, in late April and through the month of May, uh, especially in the month of May, a lot of activity uh, with more herds and some herds that haven't seen virus uh, ever before. Um, so it's definitely moving into areas of less density and continuing to see uh, a lot more breaks for Uh, typically, we'd see spring breaks, and typically we'd see at the end of April and first part of May, uh, but this year definitely seeing a spike with uh, a lot more breaks than normal, for sure. Mm -hmm. And as Giovanni said, talking specifically about the 144 of Lineage 1C, the variant, the, the variant one, it has been active in growth finishing pigs since November, December of last year. But talking about sow farms, there were two waves. The first one back in December, November, and now more recently in April, March, in April, May, another wave. Could you describe what, what's the clinical picture of those currently circulating or that second wave compared to that first one, one for fourth? Yeah, so far, uh, the breaks we've seen this spring seem to be a little less severe than what we had seen back in that November Uh, December timeframe. So that's certainly fortunate, at least. Uh, we're still seeing the same clinical signs that you see with any PERS virus, mm -hmm. uh, but a little less of the intensity of what we saw last fall. 
as far as abortions and mortalities, I'd say it's more into a typical PERS outbreak, uh, what we'd see with uh, any any strain. Um, but uh, certainly continuing to see the farrowing side, uh, the piglets being affected probably uh, a little bit more uh, severely, more like we saw last fall in the piglets and the downstream into the the nursery and grow finish continues to be uh, with higher mortalities than uh, what we would have experienced in the past. And so um, the sow farms that broke last October and November, December, uh, those farms are putting pigs out again in good numbers, uh, but we're still seeing those seroconverting as those herds are stabilizing and cleaning up. But uh, uh, those nurseries continuing to be positive and, and more pigs getting out into the grow finish population again. Yeah, certainly good, good, good news as far as it can be, right? Uh, good, good news that those south farms, they are already recovering and, and uh, putting yeah. back, uh, yeah. recovering the throughput, right? So, but anyways, how, how is this virus moving around? Your best guess. Yeah, that's a, that'd be a, that's a really good question. I, I'd like to have the answer to that. Um, I think the challenge is, is that it, uh, the activity that we see in the grow finish and that uh, uh, we kind of expected that there would be grow finish activity, but it does appear to be uh, moving in areas as an area becomes contaminated or as the virus gets into an area, uh, then we see it move out through that area. So I think there is certainly some area spread, whether, uh, and I think the aerosol is certainly a part of that portion Uh, particularly as we get uh, some of the, the CT values, we see that there's a lot of virus coming out of those populations and particularly with the larger populations, uh, again, moving around. And uh, we're in the process of with the spring breaks happening here in early May, we've been doing some of the epidemiologic investigations, trying to go back and look at everything uh, just to make sure that we're not missing something from um, the standard biosecurity procedures, as well as uh, uh, the filtration and filter filter audits and some of those sort of things, because we have seen it move into some filtered sites again this spring. And so, um, uh, as well as even investigating down to the feed and the feed mills to try and understand, um, you know, how's, how's this virus moving like it is on us? It seems to be moving somewhat at will in these areas. Yeah, you mentioned one important concept there, the the, C, the CTs. It appears that those viruses, they are replicating at a higher load, seems like, right, compared to others just looking at the CTs, uh, looking, seeing CTs in the low teens. Yeah, I think that's one of the challenges is that there's just overwhelming numbers uh, in the countryside. And so um, with, the, with the viral load that we've got, I think that just – helps to keep these areas active. And uh, I, I believe that a big piece of it, at least until proven otherwise, is that it's just very high viral load and uh, uh, you just get overwhelming numbers. And how are you managing those farms, Paul, in terms of, uh, at least in the breeding, in the south farms, how are you managing those and how is that different than how you, you would manage other isolates? Yeah, I'd say it's, it's not really different than how we've managed other isolates in the past. Uh, I would say there's probably been more herds that have uh, opted to do a depopulation mm -hmm. 
just because it has had a history of being a severe and also the downstream is being uh, difficult to deal with. And so some some herds have opted to go ahead and do a depop repop. Um, so uh, that's that's probably more than what we would have seen in the past per se. Uh, but majority of the herds were doing the standard load, close, homogenize. Um, and so the herds that went through the fall, uh, fall and winter breaks, the November, December, uh, breaks, uh, you know, they're still in the closure. We're starting to see those herds start to, uh, test negative on piglets, test negative on processing fluids. Um, so we're fo- following those herds and they appear to be, uh, reacting similar to, as we would expect with other strains, but uh, that's been the, the most common method. Some herds that also employ vaccination have uh, uh, gone through and boosted vaccines and uh, those sort of things as well to, to do whatever we can to help that. We're also vaccinating the finishing populations mm-hmm. to try and control uh, the virus as much as possible. Uh, but uh, when they're when they're still seroconverting through the nursery phase, it gets somewhat difficult to get great protection. And for that depop, what, what's the trigger there? Is it the, the farm breaks and then have a substantial number of aborts, sows of feed, that kind of stuff, and then you look at the sequence and they say, hey, the outlook here is not is not the best? So, Yeah, I think it's been uh, most of the depots have been where there's been a more severe outbreak, and uh, there may be other reasons to uh, depopulate the herd uh, if they're mycopositive. Some some of the systems that are working on trying to eliminate myco out of their system will say, "Well, we're positive for myco. We're we've got this tougher one four four. We're just going to go ahead and depop it to clean up uh, both things at the same time." Uh, other herds have looked and their parity distribution may have gotten out of whack. And so it's a good opportunity to work on the parity distribution as well and get uh, um, correct that at the same time because you're only going to get worse going into a closure. Uh, so those have been some of the decision points that people look at is uh, the parity structure, uh, how severe is the outbreak? Are there other diseases that I can tie in with this at the same time? Great, let's keep moving forward the discussion. Just a quick reminder, as Giovanni said, uh, we're gonna have a, we have a bonus page in this report, which is the for the specifically for the PERS 144, the detection, the latest detection. So please double check that. So moving to the next page here, we're gonna cover uh, the enteric coronavirus, the PCR detection of enteric coronavirus, so with TGE, PED, and Delta coronavirus. Giovanni, what were the, the highlights for this month? Well, PD is keeping a similar detection during this year at lower levels. We are very happy to see that Delta coronavirus, there is a moderate decrease in detection both in winter market and the adult cell farms. And the advisory group has pointed out that cell farms that did broke with Delta coronavirus during the winter are now testing negative. So it's very likely that we are going to have a reduction in positivity during warmer months. Even though this is a scenario that is expected, caution should be taken because the risk of spread of this agent across farms still remain. And Paul, that brings that to an, another question here, which is PD, TGE, as well as TGE, uh, uh, all those enteric coronaviruses have been 
pretty low in terms of activity relatively, right, compared to previous years. So when should the indu in industry stop uh, doing LVI for PED and Delta, and, and uh, what can we do to eliminate those enteric coronaviruses taking advantage of this relatively low activity at this point? Yeah, I think we're uh, coming into the to the summertime, which typically in the summertime we don't see as much activity, and so I think it's a good opportunity. But uh, I certainly think um, with the low level we have, uh, these these bugs are very um, prime targets to go ahead and get to elimination. Uh, I think if we could get there, that would help the industry out, so we don't see these uh, blips every every winter, and then cool down back into the summer. So um, uh, personally, I think it would be great if we could uh, move to that level level today and uh, work at a program to go ahead and eliminate these bugs. I think the, low, the incidence rates are low enough that we can get there and uh, certainly would need to be coordinated into the time frame. Um, you know, it probably needs to be an industry-wide uh, program and um, coordinated so we can take advantage of the summer months and um, something to look at for next year, maybe. And so if, if we're thinking about not only those enteric coronaviruses, but also PERS and MICO and the other pathogens, what else uh, should the industry uh, do to stop spreading those pathogens around? It comes, like you said, summer, it's always low activity, but then the fall comes. What, what can we do to finally break that chain and, and stop moving those pathogens around. What else on top of what's already been been doing, been done? Yeah, I think uh, continuing on the um, on the grow finish side to make sure that we keep those in those pig dense areas, keep those uh, pigs vaccinated is one thing we can help ourselves with. And then uh, just uh, working and coordinating together, uh, both farmers, production systems, etc. Um, the individual farms production systems and trying to coordinate areas, you know, if we're going to clean up an area, let's try and work together so that we don't mm -hmm. uh, bring animals into that area that's been cleaned up. Or if we have animals that break in that area, try and relocate them. And so those, those are some of the options that I think we can look at into the future uh, to be able to better control those areas. I think Uh, the 144 virus is teaching us that uh, areas become a risk, and as those areas become a risk, then we probably need to think a little differently on how we're going to do our typical pig flow and those sort of things. Uh, it's always difficult to get done, but uh, I think this virus is teaching us that's something we may have to look at. So the next generation regional control programs, where we have Absolutely. coordination, not only kind of sharing the results, diagnostic results, but also share contingency plans and work together, right? Absolutely. I think that's, that's what's going to take uh, the, to, to get us to the next step. Mm -hmm. Great. Moving forward here to the next page, which is the page that covers the PCR detection of mycoplasma. Giovanni, what were the, the highlights for this month? Mycoplasma is at low detection of this period of the year, is in the lower boundaries. And so is within inspected across all the 11 monitor states. And just one side note here, we put some bullet points in the mycoplasma page about the things that Dr. Yesk just talked about how to prevent the spread of agents across different uh, farms during the next fall and winter season. 
So, Paul, based on this uh, uh, di- uh, VDL data, mycoplasma is really quiet right now. Do, do, how, how do you see in the field? Does that, do that, uh, does that resonate? No, I think that's typically what we'd see as we come into uh, these warmer months. Usually we see the mycoplasma drop off and the incidence rate uh, through the summers be good. Um, you know, we've got uh, a number of herds that are in closures and uh, elimination programs. So uh, that always helps to tend, dri- tend to drive that. And I think the industry as a whole is moving more to uh, getting more systems that are uh, negative or eliminating Uh, mycoplasma from their system. So long term, I think that's going to help us in having uh, less herds out there. Um, and through the summer months here, again, it's a good opportunity to uh, take advantage of less transmission. Great. Now let's move to the next page, which is the page that covers the diagnostic code, the, the, the information of diagnostic codes from ISU VDLs. Basically, For all the cases submitted here to the Iowa State University VDL, the diagnosticians, they assign these diagnostic codes which are with the pathogens identified for each case. So, Giovanni, what were the, the highlights for this month in terms of the diagnostic code? Well, from April to May, there was some activity in the number of cases that were diagnosed with influenza A and then PERS virus. After that, there was some activity for Pasteurella multocida and Glacerella parasoys. The advisory group has pointed out that this activity of these bacterial agents, that's Pasteurella and Glacerella, are occurring as a secondary infection from the, followed by the primary infection of PERS virus and influenza A. Well, what are you seeing and hearing regarding the activity of these, these pathogens? Yeah, I think uh, PERS has certainly been the dominant um, the dominant bug that we've been talking about and concerned about here in the last month, but influenza as well. Uh, certainly was a difficult uh, flu season uh, after pumping and everything occurred back in April. Uh, we saw a lot of influenza and some fairly tough influenzas uh, that uh, hit the grow-finish phase pretty, uh, pretty hard. And so... Uh, those two things, I think, are the primaries, and then the secondary bacteria just follow, following in behind. Uh, it makes certainly sense with what we're seeing out there. Mm-hmm. Great. So that was it for this month, for this report. So just a quick reminder, don't, don't forget to check the, the bonus page uh, for the PERS 144, as we, we discussed here today. I think keynotes from, from this, this discussion with Dr. Yeski or this regional approach on, on, on dealing with these pathogens, the, the biocontainment part of the, of the things, controlling growing sites also. So it was a great discussion. Thank you, Dr. Yask, for, for participating. Thanks for the opportunity to uh, share some of our experiences. Thank you, Dr. Yask. That was it. Thanks, guys. See you guys next month in the next next report. Thank you. Take Thank care. You. Okay.